Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week our podcast features an episode of Columbia Workshop called The Pied Piper of Hamlin. It first aired on July 21st, 1946. Presenting radio's foremost laboratory of writing and production techniques, The Columbia Workshop. Coming to you today from Hollywood. Fifteen years ago, a couple of young fellows worked together in the Columbia Network Studios in New York City. One was a studio control engineer named Irving Reese, who later went on to become the original director of the Columbia Workshop and is now a director at the RKO Studios in Hollywood. The other youngster was a clarinetist in the staff orchestra. He, too, went on from there. His name is Artie Shaw. Today, on the 10th anniversary of the Columbia Workshop... Irving Reese returns as guest director of Artie Shaw's radio adaptation of The Pied Piper of Hamlin, based on the poem by Robert Browning, with an original musical score composed and conducted by Mr. Shaw, who also plays the pipe of the Pied Piper. Our narrator, whose voice is the next you will hear, is the celebrated American author and humorist, Mr. Donald Ogden Stewart. This is the story of the Pied Piper of Hamlin. Well, once upon a time in a far-off land on the bank of a broad blue river, there stood a little town, and the name of this town was Hamlin. The story I'm going to tell you happened many, many years ago when your great-great-grandfather was a little boy, and it concerns a person who is known as the Pied Piper. And since the story happened in the town of Hamlin, perhaps it would be just as well if I told you a little about the place. In those days, Hamlin was a very peaceful little town. Or at least I thought it was peaceful. What do you suppose is going on here? I don't know what we're going to do if it doesn't stop. Imagine my whole birthday cake absolutely... I declare, something ought to be done immediately. Looks like something exciting. Wonder who that tall, impressive skinny guy is. He seems to be the head man around here. Maybe I can find out something from him. All right, now. Excellent. Let's all go up to the town hall right now and see that our mayor gives us some action. Yes, Pardon me, sir, but what seems to be the trouble? Well, you must be a stranger here. I suppose you might call it that. Here's a stranger, friend. He doesn't know what's been going on. We've had nothing but rats here. Yes, friends, rats. Thousands of them. Millions of them. They fight the dogs and kill the cats. They eat the cheese out of the bats. 
Split open the keg of salt. It's brass. Big nest inside our Sunday hats. And you even spoil our little chat by drowning our thinking with shrieking and squeaking in 50 different shops and flats. And there you are. And we've had enough of it. We're on our way to the town hall right now. Hmm, this sounds interesting. Let's go along and see what happens. I'm still your mayor, don't forget. Yes, yes and, and don't, don't forget, forget us. We're still your city council, too. Don't worry. We won't forget you. Please. A fine mayor and council, indeed. To think we buy gowns lined with ermine for imbeciles who can't determine a way to rid us of our vermin. <laughs> Mama, what vermin? Right. Hush, stop squirming. Oh, I was only trying to understand. You hope because you're old and obese to find in the very civic robe east. Yeah, well, that's our boy talking. Let's go, Miss Let's get him. Obese, robe Ain't it wonderful the way he goes on? Mama. Yes? What's obese? Fast. Hush, I said. Well, I was only trying to... Rose up, sirs. Give your brains a racking to find the remedy we're lacking. Or sure as fate, we'll send you back in. Well, I promise to do my very best. Yes, and anyone... Huh? I mean, promise to... This... I gotta see. <laughs> What are we going to do now? All I know is we better do something. And fast, too. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, for a twat. A twat. A Just as I say this, what should happen at the chamber door? A gentle tap. Like the sound of a whack makes my heart go pitter fat. Come in. 
the mare tries looking bigger. And in comes now the strangest figure. His queer long coat from heel to head is half of yellow and half of red. He himself is tall and thin with sharp blue eyes. Each like a pin and light loose hair, yet swarthy skin, no tuft on cheek or beard or chin, but lips where his smiles go out and in, and there's no guessing his kith and kin. Nobody can enough admire the tall man and his quaint attire. I'm hanged. I never saw anything like it in all my born days. Jeepers. Quiet, please, gentlemen. Hmm. Now, what is your business at this council table? If it please your honors, I'm able by means of a secret charm to draw all creatures living beneath the sun that creep or swim or fly or run after me so as you never saw. And I cheaply use my charm on creatures that do people harm. The moon and toad and newt and... Well, tell us your name. Yes, tell us your name. Well, people call me the Pied Piper. Gentlemen, <clears throat> well, state your business, Mr. Piper. Suppose I was to get rid of your rats for you. Would you give me a thousand dollars? One? Fifty thousand. Okay, gentlemen. You got yourself a deal. You mean you can wheelie with By them. one hour after sunup, you won't find a rat in all the length and breadth of Hamlin Town. <laughs> certainly been through a pretty exciting evening. Of course, everybody was a little nervous and overwrought, but now the word has got around about the Piper's bargain with the mayor, and everybody's sleeping peacefully for a change. <laughs> Five o'clock and all's well with Hamlin Town. Tomorrow morning, no more rats to worry about. The butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, they'll get up in the morning and eat their breakfast and go to work in peace again. And the rats will all seem like a bad dream. her pink fingers across the eastern sky, sleep which knits up the raveled sleeve of care and blesses man with sweet forgetfulness.
God, it's morning. And here, here comes the Pied Piper, Jiminy. I've got to get to work. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Donald Ogden Stewart speaking to you from a vantage point overlooking the main street of Hamlintown in a... <clears throat> of Hamlintown. We are about to witness what promises to be one of the most spectacular contests of all times. One lone man who will pit himself signal-handed against the grim menace which has threatened to strip every larder and cupboard in the town of Hamlin. Yes, folks, one lone man against swarming thousands of voracious vermin. Armed with but a thin black pipe, this intrepid missile is about to fling his challenge into the teeth of the ravenous hordes of Hamilton's Ratham. The arena in which this titanic struggle is to be staged is the main street of the town. As yet, none of the principal contestants has put in an appearance. However, listen closely, folks, and you will hear the sound of the approaching Pied Piper... But while we're waiting, let me just take a moment, folks, to tell you. It's a beautiful morning here in Hamlin Town. Red ball of a sun is just peeping around the side of the snow-capped Cobbleberg Hill, right outside of town. And there's a soft breeze blowing in from the Blue Wazer River, which you can just see over the tiled rooftops of the village, where it cuts across the end of Main Street at the ferry wharf. Uh-oh, uh-oh, here comes the Pied Piper around the corner now. It's a shame the townsfolk are not awake to witness this magnificent spectacle. The Pied Piper, ladies and gentlemen, is dressed to kill. His coat is a startling pattern of a tremendous red and yellow checks. He's wearing a glittering something that looks like a gold keychain that dangles all the way down to the tops of his bright yellow shoes and jingles against the cuffs of his peg trousers. And perched at a jaunty angle, folks, on his head is a sort of a pork pie hat with a long green feather waving in the breeze. Now, now, he steps to the center of the street, darts a quick glance around. Now he's raising his pipe to his lips. An odd little smile comes over his face. He takes a deep breath. He's about to blow. Listen... They hear him? Will the Pied Piper fail? Will the rats come out? Will the mayor keep his promise? Tune in at the same time. <coughs> I beg your pardon. Uh, back to the Piper. Hmm. He doesn't seem to be getting any results. Unless it could be. What's that sound? Coming closer. Listen. The Pied Piper's face is purple, ladies and gentlemen. And now all Hamlin Town's awake. Heads are popping out of windows and... Look, 
Out of the house, the rats come tumbling in. Great rats, small rats, lean rats, brawny rats, brown rats, black rats, gray rats, tawny rats, brave old plotters, gay young festers, poppies, mothers, uncles, cousins, cocking tails and picking whiskers, families by tens and dozens, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, follow the piper for their lives. They follow, dancing. And now the pipe paper has reached the very edge of the wharf. One more step, and he'll plunge into the river. But no, no, he's stepping aside. And the rats keep dancing as if enchanted. Straight ahead, straight ahead over the edge of the wharf, and there they go. Hundreds and thousands of them into the swift flowing curve, which carries them around the bend and out of sight. to the Hamlin people, ringing the bells till they rock the steeple. Councilman, I'm glad you liked it. I thought it was pretty good myself. Say, um, you really think we're rid of those wets for good? Of course we're sure sure we do. Well, that's that, I guess. Let's go get some one. Yeah. Yeah. Just a moment, gentlemen. Haven't you forgotten something? Uh, well, 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 hello, Mr. Piper. Well, 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 it sure is a great day for Hamlin. Such a wee week to be finally rid of those, uh... Uh... Isn't it lovely weather we're having? Well, back to the old grind, huh? Yes, that's right, man. Back to the old grind. Well, good day, Mr. Piper. But, Jim... Yes? Our little agreement? Why, of course, our agreement. Isn't that silly? <laughs> I almost forgot. Yes. Isn't that silly? We almost forgot. Well, that's all right. But it's time for me to be running along now. And if it's all the same to you gentlemen, I'd like my money now. Uh, 
just how much money was that again, Mr. Piper? I forget. Yeah, yeah we forget. Well, Jim, didn't we all agree it was to be a thousand dollars? A thousand dollars? I don't remember any such figure as that. Do you, Councilman? No. We, we don't remember any such figure as that. Do you, Mayor? No, I don't remember. Do you, Councilman? No, we don't remember. Do you, Mayor? No, I don't remember. Oh, come, come now, gentlemen. A bargain's a bargain. Besides, our business was done at the river's brink. We saw with our eyes the vermin sink, and what's dead can't come to life, I think. <laughs> so, friends, we're not the folks to shrink from the duty of giving you something for drink and a matter of money to put in your poke. But as for the thousand, what we spoke of that, as you very well know, was a joke. Besides, our losses have made us fifty. A thousand dollars? Come, take fifty. Box! I see, Jim. That's the way you're going to play it. Well, folks who put me in a passion may find me piped to another fashion. Is that a threat? Yes. Is that a threat? Yes, gentlemen. That's a threat. You threaten us, fella. Do your worst. Yes. Blow your pipe then. Tell your worst. Chapping like fowls in a barnyard when barley is scuffing. Out come the children, running. All the little boys and girls with rosy cheeks and flaxen curls and sparkling eyes and teeth like pearls, tripping and skipping, run merrily after the wonderful music with shouting and laughter. See, there's something about all this, though, I don't like too much. The piper is heading straight for the river. A lot of the kids' parents are out here watching. I think they're getting a little worried, too. Of course, I don't think he's tried. I still don't like it. Let's take a run over there and see. Oscar, they're going too far away. Call Hans back. Uh, I'm back. Come back, you hear me? Oh, 
Stop him, Oscar. They're going straight over the river. Bert. Bert. Come back here, huh? Come back, Willie. Susie, come here. Don't you hear me? Please do something. Where's the man? Yes, Paul, oh, the man. They'll stop them. He started this whole thing. Well, where is he now? Look, look, they're almost at the wall. What's going on here? Oh, Can't you see? They're going straight into the river. Hurry! Stop yes, stop it. Hey, Mr. Piper, come back here. You hear? Come back. Please. The Pied Piper keeps going straight ahead. And the children, the children are right behind him. This looks very bad. If something doesn't happen very soon, it's going to be... Wait a minute. Wait. They've turned off. And the whole town is after them. They're headed straight for Coppelberg Hill. Maybe the town folk will be able to stop them there. Surely the Pied Piper won't try to climb over the mountain. He can never cross that mighty top. He'll be forced to let the piping drop. And you shall see your children stop. Good luck. As they reach the mountainside... A wondrous portal opens wide as if the mountain were suddenly hollow. And the piper goes in and the children follow. And as they go in to the very last, the door in the mountainside shuts fast. the piper by word of mouth, wherever he thought a man could find him silver and gold to his heart's content, if he'd only return the way he went and bring the children behind him. But when he saw it was a lost endeavor and piper and children were gone forever, he became a very sad man, and from that day on till the day he died, no one in all Hamlin town ever spoke a word to him again. Yes, he became a sad and lonely little man. And each day of his life, he would wander forlornly around the base of Copperberg Hill, searching in vain for the door in the mountainside. But he never found it. And during the many, many years of his hopeless search, the only thing that kept him from giving up all hope was that occasionally it would seem to him that he could hear from far inside the mountain. Please, Mr. Piper, please bring back our children. But it must have been only his imagination, because from that day to this... No one in the whole wide world has ever again seen or heard the Pied Piper of Hamelin. But through the special facilities of the Columbia Broadcasting System, we now take you deep into the interior of Coppelberg Hill where we have prevailed upon the Pied Piper to give us a statement regarding his position in this entire manner. Ladies and gentlemen, the next voice you will hear will be that of the Pied Piper. Take it away, Copperberg. 
This is Copper Bird, Pied Piper speaking. All I gotta say is, don't go messing with the piper, or you're gonna get yourself into a permanent jam. Says. has presented its 10th anniversary program, The Pied Piper of Hamlin, with Donald Ogden Stewart as narrator. The script and the musical score were written by Artie Shaw, who also played the pipe of the Pied Piper. The program was directed by Irving Reese, who was the original director of the Columbia Workshop 10 years ago, and is now directing Dory Sherry's production of The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer for RKO. The Pied Piper was produced for the Columbia Workshop by William N. Robeson. The Columbia Workshop described itself as a way to experiment in new techniques with a hope of discovering or evolving new and better forms of radio presentation, with a special emphasis on radio drama to encourage and present the work of new writers and artists who may have fresh and vital ideas to contribute. The series began as the idea of Irving Reese. Reese had begun his radio career as an engineer and developed a fascination with the possibilities of the relatively new medium. His idea was to use experimental modes of narrative to enhance the way a story was conveyed over the radio. Early shows on the workshop exemplified Reese's penchant for experimentation through narrative and technical means. The second program, Broadway Evening, followed a couple as they meandered down Broadway during an evening. A subsequent show had at least 30 different characters functioning within a half-hour drama. Among the technical demonstrations were sound effects, the use of various kinds of microphones to achieve various aural effects, and voice impersonators, including sound effects produced by voice. Reese called upon others to try their hand in writing new or adapting existing material for the experimental nature of the workshop. Orson Welles did a two-part adaptation of Shakespeare's Hamlet, as well as a 30-minute condensation of Macbeth. Erwin Shaw contributed one show, and Stephen Vincent Benet adapted several of his short stories. Reese also experimented with readings and dramatizations of poetry, including works by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, John Macefield, and Edgar Allan Poe. One of the most notable presentations of Reese's tenure was Archibald MacLeish's original radio play, The Fall of the City, with a cast that included Burgess Meredith, Orson Welles, and 300 students. The play was notable for its portrayal of the collapse of a city under an unnamed dictator, a commentary on fascism in Germany and Italy. On the broadcast of December 23, 1937, the first of a two-part dramatization of Lewis Carroll's Alice Through the Looking Glass, it was announced that William N. Robeson had succeeded Irving Reese as director of the Columbia Workshop. Though the workshop continued some experimentation, Robeson placed greater emphasis on good dramatic adaptations rather than didactic explanations of radio techniques. Robeson was able to keep the quality that Reese had established. Erwin Shaw, Stephen Vincent Benet continued to contribute to the show, and Robeson got new talent like Arch Obler and Thornton Wilder to work on episodes. 
Robeson left in mid-1939. Afterwards, there were a series of directors, most notably the socially conscious Norman Corwin. Interest in the show was waning in 1942 and went off the air in 43 to be revived in 1946 through 1947, then coming back under the name CBS Radio Workshop in 1956. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.